Hey guys, welcome back to No Fate, a Terminator podcast. I'm Michael, with me is Tanner, and we are here to talk about the sixth episode of Terminator The Sarah Connor Chronicles this week, entitled Dungeons and Dragons, which is really exciting. Tanner, I forgot to mention this on our last episode, but I just watched the movie Halloween for the first time. Oh, did you? Which one? The first one, the original. The very, very first one? The very, very first one, yep. What'd you think? I really liked it. Yeah, um, you, I've, can, you can see the Terminator elements in it, can't you? Yeah, I can. That's why I bring it up is, you know, I'd seen some of the action sequences, like some of the scary stuff, just clips of that in the past. And it didn't yeah. scare me. I didn't think it was that scary. But in the context of the greater movie, because of the atmosphere of the film and because mm-hmm. like he stalks her the during the day too. and the slow yeah. build and all that, it just really freaks me out by the end. Yeah, no, it works. It works for sure. And it's really good. And I'm really glad that the newest Halloween films, which actually my wife and I are going to start watching um, tonight after we stop recording, we're going to watch the the 2018 one. Um, Cool. I'm really glad that at least based on the trailers, those seem to be going back to those like strict horror, like not like campy horror, but like strict horror elements that make it work. Mm -hmm. And it seems Mm -hmm. like the feel of the 2018 Halloween movie matches the feel of the trailers for terminator dark fate but then when you watch dark fate like just in terms of the intensity not necessarily in terms of the horror just like it feels like it's going back to the roots but then when you watch dark fate it doesn't feel that way and dark fate was also pg-13 and also halloween is rated r R. yeah so that helped (laughs) that no that does help and most of the terminator films are rated r up until salvation right so yeah, it's just interesting. I just wanted to share that because I, I watched that movie last night and I was like, man, if we could get a Terminator movie that like gets this intense and this scary and is just like this, I'd be I'd be super happy. Hopefully they see that there's a calling for it. Wasn't Terminator 3 PG-13 as well? Or was that one also R? No, it was also R. There's language in it. That's why. Was it really? It doesn't feel that bad. There's the part where it... Where it punches its arm through the guy's chest but that might be the worst of it right i don't remember there being that many uh there's not very much cussing in it either let me let me fact check myself it's terminator 3 the whole time it feels like it's it's more trying to make fun of itself than it is trying to take itself seriously right no it's it's rated r interesting and the director's cut of salvation is rated r but the theatrical is not oh the director's cut the uh the, the one you're supposed to watch. The booby version of the movie. The booby version of the movie. But anyway. But we... it does add other <laughs> scenes. <laughs> we, I don't know if we talked about it, but when you and I watched that, we swore that that was the only scene that they added. Because <laughs> we, we felt like we recognized all the other scenes that they add in the director's cut of Salvation. But it turns out a lot of those other scenes weren't in there. Like the, the big machine that comes out of the water. Yeah. Some other things, some dialogues and stuff. Yeah. For whatever reason, you and I didn't pick up on that. And we were watching it and just out of nowhere, we go, did they only add a booby scene to this director's cut? What is this? <laughs> well, I think when we looked at it, when we looked at the runtime of both Salvation and the director's cut yeah. of Salvation, we saw that it was only like a minute difference mm-hmm. or something like that. And we were like, yeah, it's oh, really short. Well, it must have just been that scene. <laughs> <laughs> Also, we probably saw all the extended scenes 
on YouTube or something before. So we just didn't recognize them. We must have, yeah. Where's that? And I there, feel it, like that's harder really to find on YouTube. <laughs> it, they're super small, the details. Because I think one of them is like just seeing uh, Marcus's face when the camera goes by and stuff. Yeah. When they're down below. It's like, so it, it's all these teeny tiny things that add up to a minute. But of course, the booby scene is the only one that looked different to us watching it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is our rating on uh, Dungeons and Dragons? So Dungeons and Dragons, the rating is a seven point eight, and while you chew oh, on that for went a down point one, I know. And while you chew on that for a moment, the official description reads: flashing in and out of consciousness, fighting for his life. Derek Reese recalls his future life battling the machines in twenty twenty seven. Meanwhile, Sarah tries to explain the past to Charlie. Recalls his future life. Trippy. Yeah. That would be a weird thing. I uh, I actually would give this episode an eight, also, just like the previous episode. Maybe even an eight, like point five. I I just think the future stuff with Derek, his origin stuff, is so good. It's also the first time they really dive into that, and I like I like the first part of it more than the second part of it. Sure, but I think it's also meant to just feel really uh, oppressive when they when they get captured and they're in that weird mansion building and kind of waiting to be i don't know experimented on i don't know really well, um, it doesn't really say like Derek, no. Derek doesn't really express and obviously either he can't remember or he chooses not to remember because he only shows himself in his flashbacks going in and out of the room nothing more it's a weird scene, all of that future stuff. And we have a lot, and we're kind of jumping into like the middle part of the episode by talking about this now. There's a lot to talk about in here, but I guess to start with the future stuff, it looks really good for, yeah. you know, not having a big movie budget to do it. Yeah. And it's exciting. And, and it's also the first time you get to see Kyle, who's our actor that plays Kyle in this. He plays a good Kyle. Yeah, he does. He's, he does a great job as Kyle. He actually shows up a couple more times, I think, in flashbacks throughout the show and he's he's great um he he acts just Here. jonathan jackson i'm sorry his name is jonathan jackson um and he's a he's a phenomenal actor he's he's really good he does the he plays the role well who is the salvation kyle uh anton yelchin because this guy reminds me a lot of him and his portrayal of kyle reese mm. could be because he's a younger looking kyle more so than uh michael bean was that's interesting um fun fact about jonathan jackson though the actor who plays kyle reese he actually in the past couple of years and so the year that we're recording this is 2021 but in the past couple of years he actually moved to ireland to help support a new monastery being founded by the roman orthodox uh, church and so he kind of just left acting behind and he uh He's a Christian, and so he went and became a part of that elsewhere outside of the country. So that's super weird, super cool. Uh, just fun fact about that actor, but interesting. But he uh, he he didn't really do all that much outside of the Sarah Connor Chronicles, with the exception of the show Nashville, where he was a lead character. 
So he was in like 121 episodes of that show. But other than that, that's uh, that's what he's doing now. So there you go. It's funny because he's a guy to where like, obviously if he was dressed up how he looks in this show, you'd be like, oh, Kyle Reese. But like if he's just dressed in normal clothes, you would not recognize this guy. No, I wouldn't. no, I, I wouldn't either. But it would be so funny to just be talking to him in Ireland or Scotland or wherever the heck you said he went to. <laughs> <laughs> and had you seen this show, maybe our friend from across the pond sees this guy. <laughs> just out of nowhere, are you Kyle Reese? <laughs> <laughs> be wild. Uh, super funny. Um, there's a lot in this episode, so I don't know where you want to start. I kind of want to talk about the future, I don't know future stuff first, if that's cool with you. Yes. I just think, think it's the most exciting, but we could also end on that. Yep, 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 yep. No, it's tough because it goes back and forth a lot, so I'm trying to think on how to tackle this. Well, I guess relating to the future stuff, too, something that I thought was kind of interesting in here Kyle, or I'm sorry, John asks Cameron in this episode, do you know who Derek is? Trying to figure out if if Cameron knows that Derek is John's uncle. Right. And Cameron lists a a bunch of things about Derek and even lists things about Kyle, but doesn't put it together that Kyle is John's dad. Right. Which is interesting now, it might have something to do with when they reprogram her to be good. In fact, she even mentions that they wipe their memory yep. to an extent. Yep. Obviously not all the way because she still knows who those people are. But she says that they wipe their memory when they make them go good because it has a higher success rate. But it is just it just caught my attention because, of course, we've talked about how in Salvation, Skynet just straight up knows that Kyle Reese is John's dad because he's on a hit list. Yep. Which is interesting, which we which we brought up how, I mean, Skynet would probably figure it out from police records or whatever else. Yeah, just anything Sarah ever said. <laughs> yeah, anything she ever said. However, it still wasn't enough for them to figure out where Sarah lived in 1984 when the first Terminator went back. They still had to go through the phone book to find her. Which is interesting. Well, those records wouldn't have been digitized, and she also would have lived in a different place than she did in 1984. So it could be. It kind of makes sense. You would think that in Escaped Fugitive, they'd have a record of all the places she used to live, though, too. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. This is why you tune in, for the extreme nitpicking of this show. (laughs) (laughs) Or this franchise as a whole. It's, 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 It's fun to think about. It's a little brain exercise. You got to work your way through it. <laughs> yeah. No, but that part's it. I don't know. I I, th- I think you can probably justify Cameron's not knowing. I would imagine they just didn't want her to have that info, if even when they make her good. Well, probably John didn't want anyone except himself to have that info. Why? Why would right. you trust that with anybody? Um, mm-hmm. I like I wouldn't. That that makes sense. And obviously, in Salvation. He's trusted his wife with that information, which makes sense. But in this continuity, it doesn't look like John Connor has that. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the future part, at the beginning of this, I love getting to see just them sitting in their bunker. Yeah. And having their small talk and then getting called to check some things out topside, which looks really good. And it's atmospheric and it feels real and mm-hmm. lived in. 
looks better than some of the shots during the day in uh, Terminator Salvation. <laughs> I know. We actually get a nighttime future. How about that? Like, go figure. It's almost like that's what we've been promised by James Cameron. But, you know. That's what we always wanted. But it's great. And seeing Derek and Kyle interact is really sweet. Um, I like that a lot. And they also have this other friend, Billy Wisher, who they hang out with, who is a huge factor and a huge part of this story, um, who we eventually find out is actually Andy Good. In the future. Which they make him look different enough that you don't realize it. Yep, until he confesses to Derek. Right. And then you recognize it. And I think that's a combination of makeup and lighting, and they just did a really good job. That actor did a very good job at underplaying his Andiness to make himself into a different person, which makes sense. If you were living with all that guilt, I'd want to be a different person too. And so right. it's, it's really good. That whole scene where Wisher, AKA Andy confesses to Derek. is just, it's kind of heartbreaking. Uh, Cause obviously this is something he's like, he can't handle. It is. And I couldn't help but think when I watched it through this time too, because they don't explain what exactly happens when they get put into that room other than they come back out and they're really out of it and weird and yeah. like can't quite remember. But I couldn't help but think it would have been an interesting plot line of what if the Terminator goes in there and gives Andy some false thoughts or false perceptions of what he actually did in the past to create mm. the future. Mm-hmm to then have him spill the beans about it. So then the resistance fighters are on the wrong trail in the past. That Again, really maybe going back to maybe the Japanese team is actually the ones that do create Skynet with the military contract. Right. But maybe Skynet planted that seed. And also maybe that would, what that maybe that could explain why they let them go too. It's kind of weird that they would bother letting these characters go after you know, why would they do that? They put them in this room and then chain them back up and then even leave them an axe to, to break their way out, too. It's interesting. The yeah. only other thing that came to mind is if they had a tracker on them, like Red Dawn style or something like that. Right. Which actually would make sense, except for the fact that their base has already been taken out by the time they get back. Mm-hmm. Which is another mystery a little bit. Um, well, maybe not. Maybe they just tortured them well enough to find the base. Maybe that was the point. And once they found the base, they were like, all right, we don't care about you. You're broken. It could be. It could be. No, it's interesting that they would leave anybody alive for that. But it's also kind of a fun theory to think that they had to leave them alive so that they could spread the rumor about Andy being the one responsible. Yeah. Because but they also, wanted to throw him off the trail of going to the Skynet past. doesn't know that John is going to send Derek and the other three back. Right? Like, how would he know? How would Skynet know that? But then at the same time, then you have a Terminator like Vic, who is clearly gone after these resistance fighters who are in the past by, to the point where by the time we meet them, three of them are already dead. So I, I don't know. Skynet in this episode, it kind of looks like they're in the process of building the time machine, right? Right. And what's interesting is actually we actually get a glimpse of Derek returning to the base, of course, and it's ransacked. And they, but they run into the other resistance fighters who talk about how John and Kyle went into a building and then Kyle didn't come out. So we're, right. we're assuming that they sent Kyle back in time there, right? Right. So the time machine must already have been made. 
So, or they were building it and then finished it, and then True. they sent Kyle back. True. We don't know but, how long Derek was in that house for. Right. But it's kind of goofy, too, because this was kind of actually the perfect opportunity. And maybe they're trying to say that happened. I, it's hard to tell because it's kind of blurry. Because when I watch this and when Derek opens up that chest and sees Sarah's picture that's burnt, I'm thinking, oh, this is the ransacking from the first movie that you see where the Terminator comes in and shoots everybody with the laser gun. Yeah. And then Sarah's picture catches on fire. Yeah. But then the resistance fire, the resistance fighters show up and they say, don't worry, John and Kyle weren't here. They were at this other place and Kyle didn't come out, meaning he got sent back in time. Now, I don't know. Maybe that means Kyle was in there just enough to get her, her picture burnt and then he boogied and then went to get sent back in time, essentially. Yeah, that I could guess be. that's how that's how you would have to kind of fix that, I guess. Right. Or the timeline is different because of the change they made in Terminator 2. So those events happen differently. That's true, too. That's valid. There is no fate. No, that's a valid point, too. But what's also interesting is, well, I'm, gosh, you can explain a lot of things with that, just having that timeline <laughs> shift from 2. Because you can you can essentially say that 2 rewrites all of it. So right. the 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 quote quote past future scenes and memorabilia from two are now going to be altered because of the events of two. So right. you can't expect them to look the exact same. Cause the other thing I was going to bring up was they're still using a lot of bullet weapons, bullet based weapons instead of laser weapons in this, in this, in these future scenes. Yeah. Um, even the part with the, the, the one who maybe went bad that Cameron has to fight and take out. Yeah, it uses bullets to kill some of the resistance people. That's true. Yeah, and right. it could have changed Skynet's... Because also, that would make sense, right? Because Skynet would have been online for less time. So less, less time. time to create lasers. Oddly enough, time to make a time machine. But less time to create lasers, so they use bullets instead. Because Skynet would have only been online for right. under 20 yeah. years. It also looks like the HKs use use lasers too, though, so it's confusing. Right. Maybe they haven't found a way to miniaturize it. Maybe it's all on a large scale. Yeah. Anyway, that, well, then, we're, we're getting too deep into, oh, <laughs> into I love laser weapons. Kind of stuff, <laughs> oh, it's fun. If we're missing anything, you let us know. I love nitpicking this stuff like this. Because what's the other one? The other interesting thing is that they send Kyle back in time, right? Right. And then Derek talks to John, and... Derek gets the orders to also go back in time, right? Right. So they're talking about that. But they don't address at all that they won the war, which Kyle says that they won, basically, when they send Kyle back in time because they, they smashed Skynet's mainframe. It was all done. But, oh, crap, they sent back a Terminator to kill John. Maybe right? that's just what John told Kyle. So he'd go because maybe he wouldn't have left if the war hadn't been won. Could be, but if that's the case, how does Skynet know that John is who wins the war? Uh, because of Sarah in the past. So it's actually John's fault then for giving Kyle a false prophecy, which makes Skynet think John is the Messiah at that point. Yeah, maybe. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. This this franchise is wild. <laughs> <laughs> well and this isn't even the beginning of it like as as we prog progress on this show the oh timeline gosh, gets so, so messed up about it. there's, so, there's much. so much to talk about 
but this is this this one has a lot though <laughs> that we've just kind of touched on and i think the first time i watched this i didn't even put any of that together because i'm like no it's the same future from terminator 2 but it's not because mm-hmm. they changed that future they did it's different and yeah. we, we need to acknowledge that so people who like don't like the show because they're like well they changed stuff it's like well yeah they did in terminator 2 that was the whole point of the movie um so anyway I really like that they start talking about how John has been turning Terminators to their side in this episode, uh, in the future, Mm -hmm. because in the films, at least in the first few films, that seems to be a rare occurrence. But in this timeline, after post-T2, John has decided that human beings are expendable, but Terminators we can turn and we're going to do. But then that leaves the weird issue that sometimes the terminators still go bad which cameron uh prophetically tells derek um yeah yeah and eventually you know i don't know it's it's just very interesting because this version of john seems to be very willing to turn terminators to their side which again i get from a strategical standpoint because they don't need rest they don't need any of that cameron can go on for however long so could arnold in the first two films but also like Cameron mentioned, sometimes they go bad. Yeah. And so there's like a risk versus reward element to it that we've never seen in the franchise. Well, I guess we kind of had with T3, but the only reason that Terminator went bad was because it was infected by the TX. Whereas mm-hmm. here, it's just faulty programming. So it's just it's mm-hmm. just an interesting version of that. One, the idea too, that he's actively turning them to be not protectors in the past, but uh but to be soldiers in the present future right um which is just a cool element and something that i wish we could see more of because there's so many cool things that it seemed like is happening in the future which also leads me to bring up gosh we need a future set terminator movie so bad i know that could explore these kind of things a horror themed terminator movie in the future in the future and dark Yes. Nighttime. <laughs> yes. That's what we want. Whoever Give it to us, Ridley Terminator Scott. Now. Ridley Scott? You mean James Let Cameron? Ridley Scott do it. No, I mean Ridley Scott. I want to let Ridley Scott do it. Because well, of Alien? Yeah. No, and I Blade think he, he, can do, he can do dark and gritty really well. Yeah, I just watched the old Blade Runner again, too, like I just mentioned, too. Although with current Ridley Scott, we're going to get some kind of Prometheus spin on it where the Terminator wants to meet its creator and everything else. So Also, current Ridley Scott doesn't have the dark, gothic tones to his films like he did with Alien and Blade Runner. He has brighter tones like Alien Covenant and Prometheus, and I don't think that's what we want. So we need somebody who can be more dark like maybe it's the guy who's doing the current halloween movies maybe he does it i don't know or if you want to go way out there you could have uh uh (laughs) tarantino do it (laughs) i don't think i'd like that i don't think you would you don't like his work (laughs) no i think he's a brilliant filmmaker he's just not for me also i think he'd make a joke out of it and i don't want that so he can make a joke out of some other franchise that i don't care about like star trek so sorry if I offended a bunch of Trekkies there. Did not mean to. But I like the J.J. Abrams movies, which probably offended you more. So I'm going to stop talking. But He would also call it Once Upon a Time in Hollywood Part 2. Just 
you know, no, he'd, he'd, after he'd, it gets after the nuclear apocalypse, he'd call it once upon a time, Hollywood. dot, dot, dot in Hollywood, dot, dot, dot in 2029. That's what he would. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So also in this uh, episode, we learned that Derek actually did kill Andy. Um, we learned this at the end of the episode. So we're going to, we're just going to go so- there now. It's the last thing we see. It's the and... last thing we see. And it's so quick and without mercy. Like like we talked about in our last episode, there's nothing to it. He just goes in, shoots, walks out. And we don't know where the turkey is. Because no. we were told in the prison interview, he said that he got there and Andy was already dead and the Turk was gone. Which is true. Which is half true, true. Half true. But we don't know where the Turk is at And this he point. did kill Andy. So And he did kill Andy. We know Derek doesn't have it. Somebody has it, but he also is responsible for Andy's death, which I don't think ever. Well, actually, that's a spoiler, but I don't think that ever comes out. Maybe it does. I can't remember. No, it definitely does. Anyway, well, um, I was trying to figure out what what was the motivation for him to tell Sarah at first that he didn't kill Andy? I think it was just so she didn't kill him. She didn't know their relationship or he didn't know their relationship. So I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, would it matter? I don't know that it would matter. Well, it would if she's the mother of John Connor, and if John told anybody anything about Sarah, I'd be scared of her. But I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't matter. That's another thing, too. Sarah and John decide they are not going to tell Derek who he is to him. And it kind of makes sense as to why. I have a hard time with that, because I get why they don't want to tell Derek. But at the same time... And John, John clearly wants to so bad. Right. But at the same time, and they do tell him what happened to Kyle. They do tell him what happened to Kyle, but there's really no reason Derek shouldn't be trusted. And yes, Sarah doesn't know Derek. So that's a huge reason why they don't trust him. But at the same time, like he was sent back from the future by John, just like Kyle and they, and Sarah at least came to trust Kyle. There's no reason why Derek should be any different. It just, it's weird to me that they don't tell him up front. I feel like it's just so important for them to keep that a secret for the very reasons of they don't want Skynet to know because that's just one more target for them to have on their list yeah, that could true. potentially ruin the future. That's true. And he could accidentally say something to Cameron or, you know, whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's a lot. That makes sense. Oh, hilarious line by Cameron in this episode. I love when she looks at John when he's like nervous about if Derek's going to pull through or not. And she's like, you look nervous. Do you want a sedative? <laughs> <laughs> There's what, sedatives what in Charlie's bag. What a Cameron thing to say. Yeah, Charlie mm-hmm. Charlie really takes his role as John's like surrogate father very seriously, even after all this time. To the point where he's still like looking after John and reassures him uh, when John doubts his decision to tell Charlie the truth. Like he reassures him that, no, it's okay. I'm here for you, you know? And yeah, that's awesome. Like Charlie is such a stand-up guy. Super cool. Well, and then when he's operating on Derek and all of this is just so zero to 100 and extreme, what an extreme way to jump back into Sarah's life, right? Right. Like no time for them to talk or, or you know, anything. Just jump in and help me save this person. And I, I love the look of, on Sarah's face when she's like 
she, it, it looks like she's embarrassed about it in a way. Yeah. Like yeah. it looks like she's has all these like nice, normal memories with this person. And then all of a sudden he's thrust into what she really is. And it's all on the table, literally on the table. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, and it's like, I get the feeling of embarrassment from her, which kind of makes sense in that context. Well, and she tells Charlie who Derek is to them. Like she is willing to tell Charlie yeah. that, but not willing to tell Derek, which again is again very yeah. very interesting. But it is, yeah, but it's because it's she still funny. loves Charlie. Like deep down, she does. Um, and I think part of her just wants him to really understand her, um, and to the point where by the end of the episode, she like tries to kiss him. The end of the episode really stood out to me on this watch through. She does a really good job of you can see the pain there of having to let him go. She's like barely starting to tear up, but you can also see so much strength and she shows both of those emotions so well in that scene when she's letting him go and she hates to let him go, but she also has to, but she loves to watch him leave. (laughs) And I of course loved the, a storm is coming. T one reference. Yep. Except we didn't get the, I know from Sarah, which would have completed it. Kind of a little bit of an oversight there. Come on, writers. What are you, what were you doing? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it's good. It's it's super good. Um, also, like, props to Charlie for not kissing her back. Like, obviously, he's married and he's like very aware of that. Good good thing to set boundaries. Like, you don't have to set a boundary when it comes to saving Derek's life, but set a boundary with Sarah. I think that's probably healthy. <laughs> for for a lot of reasons um we don't need to make this more more confusing no charlie also has a scene with cameron that's really good and really freaky um where he says to her he's like you're he's a scary robot but you're a very scary robot in this episode cameron is in even rare form her and sarah kind of switch as far as who's trying to be emotional and who's trying to be a machine and it's yeah. it's interesting because last episode, obviously, Sarah was more machine-like and Cameron was trying to reach out. And I think because of how last episode ended, it's the opposite in this episode. Um, Cameron is tasked with destroying Vic's body, removing the chip, which she ends up taking, which we'll get to in a future episode because that's obviously going to come back. And she's very machine-like about it. Super machine-like to the point where Charlie is kind of freaked out by her. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I was trying to remember a line from that part, but I can't. I think uh, I think the last thing I have on my notes, at least, to talk about is is kind of like a continuation of the thoughts of last episode. Sarah acts very motherly with John in this episode, and again, I think it's kind of this this alternate juxtaposition of the last episode she felt very machine-like here she feels very human to the point where she gives him a hug at the end when he knows she knows he's hurting and scared of the idea of losing Derek before he even gets to meet him it's just she actively opens herself up and makes herself available emotionally to John to Charlie and kind of to Derek in a sense without directly uh, doing that with him so it's just it's it's good it's good stuff I mean this episode had enough just crazy things happen all at once emotionally for her that it broke her down enough to see that. And John feels like he's not going to get a hug at first. He kind of comes in and she's cleaning the, 
the yeah. gun and then he starts to leave the room and she grabs him but yeah. you know she had not only did she just find out that Kyle had a brother and all of a sudden he's dying in her kitchen but also she sees Charlie again for the first time and uh all of these things combined broke her down enough to where we see that part of her which it's great that they they still show us these human sides of her they don't just keep her in this constant inhuman state yeah they give us enough glimpses to show the conflict to show the realness to really add to her character yeah and again we've talked about this before but when it comes to a television series about sarah connor you have to do that you know the films you don't have to do that the first film of course does that because she's a completely different person the second film only does that i would argue in that scene with her and Kyle that's happening in her mind. But barring those. Well, and when, and when, and when John comes to stop her from killing Dyson, that's true too. And she breaks down. Yeah. Yeah. That's true too. Um, but it happens very infrequently with Sarah, the Sarah Connor that we know and love the action hero, Sarah Connor. Um, right. And I guess maybe like you could argue it happens in Genesis, but I, I don't, think that's true necessarily and dark fate it doesn't happen really either so here it has to you know you you have to have these moments where you see sarah connor as a human as a normal human being um who after all this trauma after all this would eventually have to break down a any normal person would and, and sure she's not normal which is why it takes her longer but mm -hmm. she does because she's human and i think that's the opposite of that's that's the difference between her and Cameron is eventually she will reach a breaking point. Cameron will not. Yeah. So with that, Tanner, did you have any final thoughts on Dungeons and Dragons or what would your uh, D and D character be? My D and D character. Yeah. I think the last I actually the last time I I did that I, I believe I was like a orc bear man or something like that. I can't remember, <laughs> but is. His backstory was he was a slave all of his life, and then he he broke free, and I think his weapon was a big hammer. I love that. My yeah, last D&D yeah, character? Pretty, I was pretty proud of it. That's great. I really like that a lot. My last D&D character, he I, was only, I think, two or three years ago, and he was named Iru Ilivitar after the, uh, the Middle-Earth version of God. <laughs> and he uh um, okay yeah and because i was pulling through from all different mythologies on this one and he was a a simple farmer whose entire village and family was killed by dragons so he went after dragons and that was his specialty was killing dragons because of that so that with a pitchfork now he had a big sword it was sweet um super sweet he, he had a uh, farmer sword no he just He's made him. Well, he is, but he, he made himself. He became more than that. He became a warrior. Um, but he was a human. How does a farmer go from farming to killing dragons? How did he? How do you make that jump? Have you ever seen an old west movie? Like that happens. People people go from one thing to another, or a samurai movie, or you know, no. Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> no, Fro Frodo's out of his element. I don't know what you're talking about. Old West movies that make sense because they're, they're you know guns are a part of uh, the ranch life. It's got to be a part of it. But if okay. you're farming, 
Okay, but Sarah Farm Connor goes from dragons. but Sarah Connor goes from being a waitress and a bad waitress to being an action yes. hero to yes. kill Terminators. No, she, she, she makes she she makes that journey by yeah shacking up with different men to teach her those skills. So I'm asking you, who is your farmer guy shacking up with to kill dragons? He just went into the mountains and learned it from old wise men until he became an old wise man. Okay. He wasn't shacking up. <laughs> with the lonely old wise men no what is he exchanging for the learning um, his crops yeah maybe maybe <laughs> he's teaching them how to farm or something i didn't think that far ahead i skipped like okay. 40 years in his backstory <laughs> <laughs> you know me i like the i like the details give me the nitpicks of this journey Oh my gosh. Speaking of this journey, I think this podcast journey has come to an end. Um, All right. Well, it was just getting good. At least for this uh at least for this week's episode. But we'll be back next time with episode seven of the Sarah Connor Chronicles, which we're pumped to talk about. So until then, guys, you can find us on our website, nofatepodcast.com. You can find us on Audible, Amazon Podcasts. Nope, it's Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts. That's what it is. And Spotify as well. And you can find us on Twitter at NoFatePod, where we'd love to talk to you about anything Sarah Connor Chronicles related, anything Terminator related, or I guess D&D, or Halloween, or whatever else we talked about this week. <laughs> we'll talk about that. We're, we're pretty close to the end of this first season. So we only have a couple more episodes left. I think three episodes left. And we're we're excited to get there. So join us for the ride. But until then, just remember... If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. We've been fighting a long time. <laughs>